welcome to open our Sunday school time with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you uh, for this opportunity to gather, weather, gather together and study your word. Father, I just pray that as we continue diving into the book of Philippians, that your message just becomes clear to us, that um, through your word here recorded in Philippians, that we can have a better understanding of who you are and what you have for us, Father. I just pray that you bless our time in the Word together, bless our time in church this morning, and just pray that um, we can enjoy the fellowship with one another and continue to uh, uh, pursue you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys. So this morning, we are going to be going through Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 26. Um, but before we read our text this morning, I want to point out a couple things that I've included in your outline if you grabbed one. So as we continue to go through the book of Philippians, I'm going to be lying out an outline of the book of Philippians um, to the point that we're at. So this week you can see I have uh, verses or chapter 1, verses 1 through 26. Um, this is an outline I've kind of put together. You can go online and find all kinds of different outlines for the book of Philippians. Um, and this is just kind of my amalgamation of some of the ones that I've used during my personal Bible study time. So... Um, I'll continue to include this in the outlines and work from there. Part of the reason I want to include it is my desire is that we can understand what the whole book of Philippians is telling us. So as we go through and study the different parts of it, we can start relating that back to um, uh, what Paul is trying to tell the church in Philippi, as well as what God is trying to reveal to us through the book of Philippians. Um, going along with that, I have a couple questions that I want us to think about before we dive into our study. Um, as we go through scripture, um, uh, it's important to come with a good understanding of what we're trying to do here um, have, and to develop some good Bible study methods. And these are some of the questions that I use as I go through um, preparing my Sunday school material. And I just want to throw these out for you guys so that we can kind of be on the same page as we dive into scripture and as we continue to study Philippians, so that you understand what I'm trying to do, and then hopefully as you guys go home and read through the book on your own, that you can kind of uh, start developing some of these ideas as well. So first, as we read through scripture, uh, we are looking for the message that's in it, obviously. And so as we read through the book of Philippians, one of the first things I always ask is, what is Paul's message the Philippians. Um, the thing about scripture is there's sometimes messages in scripture that was uh, directed towards that people at that time that may not be 100% applicable to us. So in parts of Philippians, Paul says he desires to come visit the Philippians. Now, Paul's not saying he wants to come visit me. <laughs> he wants to visit the Philippians. And so as we look at that, we can then start to pull out some of these bigger picture questions. Um, so after I read through a section, I then ask myself, how does this passage fit into the book of Philippians? So if you were in Sunday school last week, we kind of talked about what I think is the main idea of the book of Philippians, and that is that Paul is writing Philippians to the church in Philippi to express his thanks and affection for their partnership in his ministry and to encourage them to continue pursuing Christ. And so as I read through Philippians, I try to read the different pieces in that context of what is Paul doing here in the greater uh, piece, uh, the greater book of Philippians. Next, um, I ask myself, how does this scripture point us to the gospel? 
So in a sense, as I'm looking at how does a passage fit into the context of the book of Philippians, I'm also asking how does it fit into the context of the Bible as a whole? So as you're reading through the Bible, one of the uh, thought games I like to play is what is the broad message of the Bible? So if you could sum up what the Bible, you know, what the message of the Bible is in like one sentence or a couple words, what would that be? Now, I don't have an answer. That's a hard question. But it's something that I think through to help develop what is God showing us through the Bible? What is the meaning? What is the purpose of the Bible? Um, and so as we go through the book of Philippians, it's always important to think, how does this fit into the greater context of Scripture? Um, before we go too far, though, I'd like to kind of open that up. If you could describe the message of the Bible in one or two sentences, what would it be? <laughs> Basic information before leaving Earth. That's nice. I like the acronym there. So again, if you could sum up the Bible in one or two sentences, what would that be? Yeah, good news of God and Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah, God's promises and his delivery of those promises, that's really good. So a lot of what you guys are touching on is the gospel. So the gospel literally in Greek means the good news, and it's talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, and one of the ways I like to think about the Bible, and it almost kind of goes to what Nancy said, is the Old Testament points to the coming of Christ, and the New Testament points us back to the work that he did. And so as we're reading the Bible, we look, how is this pointing us, so in Philippians, how is this pointing us back to the work of Christ? Now again, my answer is not perfect. I, I, I don't think anyone could do a good job in one or two sentences of summarizing the idea of the Bible. But again, it's just a, a, a game I play with myself to kind of hone myself to um, try to fit scripture into the broader context of what God is revealing to us through the entire Bible. Uh, and so finally, that's my last question as I go through a passage is, what does this reveal to us about God? Um, in some parts, it's easy because God is speaking directly to us. He's directly revealing some aspect of himself to us. But in some parts, it can be really hard to say, what is this revealing about God? So a classic example, have you ever had a pastor who would preach through the genealogies in different parts of the Bible who like just spent a sermon on the genealogies? Maybe, probably not, because it's a hard portion of scripture to really dive in. It's just a bunch of names, right? Well, scripture is inspired by God, and there is a message in that, even if it's just revealing something about the nature of God's goodness. And so even when we come across a passage of scripture that maybe on its face seems boring or doesn't have any detail that might be applicable to our lives, there is still something in there that we can benefit from. Now, if you go back to one of the genealogies, that may just be God demonstrating his faithfulness through hundreds of years, through many different people in one family. But I believe that all scripture reveals, about, reveals something about God to us that we can know him better. And so as we continue going through the book of Philippians, these are four of the questions that I've asked myself as I've been through. 
And you can see I've included a, a picture of an onion there. And it's kinda, that's kind of how I think about it. So as we're studying scripture, you know, a verse is kind of like right here at the core. And so what is this verse saying? And then as we work out, what is it saying in the context of the chapter? And then what is it saying in the context of the whole book? And then what is it saying in the context of the whole Bible? And so that's what I'm going to try to do is as we look at this next passage, look at what it's saying and then try to fit it into that onion and look at all the different layers. So if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26. And I'm going to go ahead and read these passages for us. Starting in verse 12. I want you to know, brothers... That what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim, proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will, this will turn out for my deliverance as is my eager expectation and hope, I will not be ashamed, but that with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall, which I ch shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to the glory in Jesus Christ because of my coming to you again. So that's the passages we're going to be going through. As you can see in your outline and on the screen, I have titled this section of the book of Philippians an update on Paul's uh, gospel ministry because that's really the feeling I get when I read this. So um, me and my wife support a couple different ministries and we support a couple different ministries. And every now and again, we will get a letter or some kind of thank you and an update on their ministry. I'm sure many of you here in the congregation probably get those letters as well. They normally include like pictures of their family and what they were doing and then what they were doing. Uh, serving their ministry, and I really get the same feeling here in Paul, which I guess goes to show that, you know, those missionary support letters go back thousands and thousands of years, um, and uh, so if the first couple passages that we went through last week are an introduction, so it, again, the book of Philippians is a letter, so it's Paul's greeting to the people he's writing to. This really is um, an update on his ministry and what he's doing. And honestly, it's a pretty, uh, 
uh, rough update. Paul is going through some really hard times. So the first section here is talking about um, uh, uh, what Paul is going through. And it's not really um, that good. So Paul is currently writing this letter from prison. And so again, as we went through last week, um, he's writing this to, again, express thanks for support that the church was giving, but also to update them on what's happening because they had heard what was happening to him and the people with him. So Paul is writing this from prison and a, a Roman prison is not the greatest place to be. So Paul was going through a lot of suffering. And yet, it's just so cool to see what Paul is doing here because the book of Philippians is one of the most positive letters that Paul writes. Again, some letters um, that Paul writes in the New Testament, like Corinthians, are written because he's addressing an issue in the church. But Philippians is not that way. Philippians is written just to express Paul's thankfulness and affection and then encouragement to the Philippians. And it's so neat to read that in the context of thinking, man, Paul is writing with all of this joy while he's going through one of the hardest times in his life, probably in prison, not able to do the ministry um, that he wants to do. But as we see as what he's showing us, um, he's still able to be used by God through his suffering, and through the place that he's at. Um, so how does this fit into the greater um, passage? Again, this is kind of just an update, and so he, he develops some of these thoughts that he's going to give us here uh, later in the book, but really he's talking about what's going on right now. So the first part of this letter, um, or the, this section, is talking about Paul's suffering. And um, here we can see... Um, here we can see in verse 12 um, that Paul starts off by saying I want you to know brothers that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so he's talking about his imprisonment and he's telling the Philippians you know even though I'm in prison even though I am in a hard place God is still using me to forward the gospel in verse 13, he says, So that has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Um, and I think this is really interesting. So, um, you know, we picture Paul and we picture his mi missionary journeys, him traveling all throughout Asia Minor uh, and the ancient world, spreading the gospel. However, even while he's still in prison, God is able to use him to spread the gospel to the people around him. So again, in verse 13, it's telling us that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. So these would be the soldiers who are holding Paul captive. And some of them probably are being quite abusive to Paul. Again, you picture an ancient uh, Roman prison. That's not a great place to be. We have different places throughout um, the New Testament that describe some of the people who were in prison at the time, and they go through various things like being beaten, and being withheld food and water. Um, and so we don't know exactly the circumstances of Paul's imprisonment, but we've got to think it's not the greatest place. And for Paul, he's not necessarily so worried about um, the physical affliction, but not being able to be out and serving the churches that he started. Um, again, that's one of the reasons why he's writing the book of Philippians, is he's expressing his desire that he wishes he could come and return to them. But even though Paul's being in prison, he is still able to be used by God to advance the gospel. 
and through, to the people who are um, imprisoning him, to the soldiers and to the people guarding him. And I just think that's such a, a, a great demonstration that God can use each one of us no matter where we're at. We don't have to be Paul on his missionary journeys, going from church to church, preaching the gospel. God is able to use Paul even when he's confined um, in prison. And that finally reveals to us, uh, too, um, that where is the power of the gospel? So a lot of times we think that we have to go out, that we have to go and share the gospel to other people, that it's only through our hard work that the gospel can be shared. But what um, Paul is telling us here is that it does not matter where he's at. God is able to use him and able to use the gospel to minister to those around him, even when he's in prison. Yeah, Nancy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, I'm not sure what the Romans would have thought of his life as a Pharisee. Um, he was a Roman citizen, and so that may have get, got given him some benefits. But again, in some of the other passages, it's recorded that Paul goes through some pretty terrible things. Uh, even last week, we talked about his imprisonment in Philippi when he first traveled there, and how even though he was a Roman citizen, they treated him pretty awfully. So I'm not sure the Romans would, would have had an opinion on him being a Pharisee, but they would have treated him differently because he was a Roman citizen. But yeah, through all that and through the suffering that Paul um, uh, you know, is going through, he's still able to do his work and to spread the gospel. The other thing, too, is so he's still able to spread the gospel there in prison, but the other thing that God is, using, uh, is doing in verse 14 is it says, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Now, Russ touched on this last week, so good job, Russ. I don't know if you're reading ahead or what, but Russ had said, you know, what happens if our pastors are put in prison? Um, so right now, the church in America is going through some challenges. Um, now, they aren't throwing pastors in prison, but, you know, think about that. What would happen? What would the church body do if they were to start locking up people who are preaching the gospel? Well, in the ancient world, during this time when Paul is writing this letter, he said, most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So as Paul is being in prison, that doesn't mean the gospel stops there with him. It's emboldening others to go out and to do Paul's ministry. So Paul may be confined in prison, but there are others who see that Paul cannot travel and so are going and sharing the word. And I just think this is a testament to God's faithfulness and to God's, the power of the gospel, that um, even through this, through um, what Paul's going through, that God is able to use him in the place that he's at to spread the gospel, and he's able to use those around them to step up and to serve and to preach that gospel message. Um, so through this, we can see that God is using Paul's suffering. He's using it to spread his gospel. And that you know, brings up the question, how does God use suffering? So we all suffer. We all go through things that aren't pleasant. But um, 
God can use that as a tool. And that's what Paul is telling us here, that he's using his suffering in prison. And that's something that, you know, oftentimes it's hard to see the good that's coming out of the hardships that we face. But here, Paul is telling us something about the gospel and about Christ and about God, about what God uses and can use to go through, that we go through the the circumstance of our lives to his benefit. Um, It makes me think of um, the life of Joseph. So several of you would have been at the men's breakfast yesterday, and Pastor Tim was teaching on Joseph and Joseph's life. And um, so many of you will be familiar with the story of Joseph. He he goes through some uh, pretty rough things. So he's the favorite of his father, and his father gives him a coat of many colors. And because of that favoritism, his brothers do not like him. (laughs) They're jealous. They um, don't like him. And so um, they decide to get rid of him. And so one day when they're out in the fields tending their sheep and Joseph comes out to visit them, they decide, we're going to get rid of him. We're going to kill him. And so they throw him in a pit to die. Um, However, they have a change of heart and end up selling him into slavery in Egypt. And through all of that, God is able to use Joseph to uh, protect his family and his chosen people. So um, Joseph goes to Egypt. Um, While he's in Egypt, he's a slave. But through the work of God and through um, several uh, uh, dreams, um, Joseph is able to um, uh, become known to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is impressed by him, impressed by his faithfulness to God and what God is able to do through Joseph. And so Joseph becomes a really high-ranking officer in the land of Egypt. And he's able to use um, Joseph to prepare Egypt for a time of famine. And that famine was not just confined to Egypt. It was throughout the whole Middle East. And so um, the Israelites were suffering because of that. And so they turned to the land of Egypt and ultimately discover that it's their brother Joseph who is preparing Egypt to get them through this. And so when they're reunited in Egypt, uh, Joseph just has one of the best lines, I think. And he says, what you intended for evil, God is able to use for good. And I just think this reveals so much about what God is able to do through our suffering and through um, the gospel, that the power of gospel does not lie within us, but it lies within God. Um, And so I think that this is kind of the same thought that Paul's going through here in this first part, that he's telling the the church in Philippians that even though I'm in prison, the gospel is still spreading, that God is still using him and using others to spread his word. Now, the next portion of this first um, section is um, really interesting, um, and I've titled it uh, uh, Christ is Proclaimed in Every Way. Um, And I'm going to go ahead and read this section, starting in verse 15. Some indeed preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, 
Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So the situation Paul's describing here is that some of these people that he mentioned in verse 14 are going out and sharing the gospel, but they're doing so out of selfish motives. In uh, 17, he said, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, (laughs) Uh, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. And this is kind of an interesting thing to think through. When we go out and we share the gospel, you know, what is our motive in doing so? Um, So Paul does say, you know, some go out there out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. So there are many people who love Paul, love his ministry, and see that while Paul is in prison, they need to go out and to um, continue preaching the gospel while Paul is unable to. But he says, you know, there are some who are going out and they're just preaching Christ out of selfish ambition. Honestly, when I think about it, there's quite a few quite famous preachers who I believe are preaching the gospel out of selfish ambition. However, I don't think that Paul is trying to make a defense for, uh, for false teachers. He's not trying to excuse people who are teaching falsehood. Um, he's really going to, what is the motivation? What is your motivation for teaching the gospel? Some, I think, are just looking at Paul and saying, I want to be like Paul. I want to be that next big preacher who's going out. And so they're doing it not because they want to see the gospel spread necessarily, but they're doing it out of selfishness. And so I want to differentiate this. They're not teaching what's false. They're not teaching a perversion of the gospel. They are teaching the gospel truthfully. They're just doing it with the wrong motives. And Paul asks in verse six, verse 18, what then? <laughs> and I love this. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. So in a sense, Paul is saying, does it matter what their motives are if they are preaching the gospel truthfully? It says, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that, I rejoice. So again, I don't think that Paul is excusing false teachers. He's not defending someone who's teaching what's wrong. But he's saying, if some of these people are teaching the gospel just because they want to you know, maybe become popular or something like that, he's saying, if the gospel is being taught truthfully, the gospel is spreading. And it goes back to this idea that Paul's developing is where is the power of the gospel? Because I'll tell you, as I'm standing up here, I am not a pure person. I am not teaching the gospel purely out of a motivation to, um, to, to, uh, uh, to honor Christ. I'm a selfish person. I'm still sinful. But God can still use sinful people, no matter their motivations, to spread his truth. And again, it's going back to this idea of where is the power of the gospel? Is it in the person who is delivering the gospel, or is it in the gospel itself? And Paul's saying it's in the gospel itself. It's not in the person delivering the gospel. At the end of the day, all of us are broken, fleshly people. And the only way that the gospel is preached and carried is by God, that God can only use us. Yes, Joe. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah? Yeah, it makes me think of uh, um, Charles Spurgeon. So I, I, Tim shared, or was it, in, was it in the Monday night Bible study that they shared the conversion of Charles Spurgeon? I believe it was in the Monday night Bible study. But um, So Charles Spurgeon was a uh, very famous pastor um, during one of the revivals. And uh, um, he came to Christ on a snowy day. There was a snowstorm, and he was headed to church. And the pastor got stuck in the snowstorm. So... He got to this tiny little rural church. There was not many people there, and the pastor did not show up for the sermon. So an older gentleman in the congregation said, someone has to deliver the word of God this morning, and I guess it's me. So he stands up, and <laughs> Spurgeon says he gave one of the clunkiest sermons he'd ever heard. He essentially just read the text. He was not eloquent. He didn't have good illustration. But Sir Spurgeon said that, through that, just through the reading of the word, through this, um, this man's honesty, God saved him. That was the point that Spurgeon decided, that, that Spurgeon heard the gospel and res uh, responded to that. And even though it was through someone who had no training, who just went up and did what he could, God was able to use the gospel to reach out to Spurgeon. And again, it's all pointing back to, just like Joe was saying, um, does not matter. If we're Jonah and we don't want to be here, God is going to use us. And one of the ways I like to think about it is God is going to use us if we obey him or he's going to use us in spite of our disobedience. It does not matter. God is the one who's in control. And that, again, it goes back to where is the power of the gospel? Is it in the person delivering it or is it in God, in the gospel itself? Um, yeah, so um, this first section here, um, again, I, uh, uh, I've kind of titled The Spread of the Gospel. Um, you know, Paul is giving us an update on what's happening. He's telling us what's happening to him in prison and then what is happening to his gospel message as it's being spread through that ministry um, that he's had um, in his absence. Um, so we are going to go ahead and shift on to the next section here. Um, which I've kind of titled The Future of Paul's Ministry. So Paul just gave them an update on, here's where I'm at, I'm in prison, here's what's happening um, as I'm in prison, and now he's going to talk about what he hopes happens in the future. Um, and uh, this is honestly a pretty morbid uh, section of scripture, but it's just so interesting to see Paul's, um, you know, what drives Paul to his ministry. So I'm going to go ahead and start reading here at the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayer and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. 
as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, but with the full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So as Paul's contemplating um, where he's at in prison and what the future of his ministry is going to look like, he starts talking about the confidence he has, the faith he has, um, in God's providence for him. He says, um, that I know through your prayers, my deliverance will turn out, whether by life or death. And Paul's saying that whether I die here in prison or I'm released and I can continue my, my ministry, it's all going to work out. Because for the Christian, we know what the end is going to be. There's no surprise. We know what's going to happen. Um, Paul goes on and... Uh, in uh, verse 21, and he gives probably one of the more quoted verses in the Bible, and it says, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Have you heard this verse before? Have you seen it, you know, maybe in a picture frame hanging in someone's house or um, somewhere else? This verse gets quoted a lot, and it, it's a great line. I mean, it really tells us Paul's motivation and what drives Paul. Um, and it's aspirational for us. I wish, you know, I would love to be able to say this about myself. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But um, one of the problems a lot of times with verses like these is they're so good that people just like to pull them out and just present them on their own. And you really can't do that. Um, again, I've seen this posted up a lot. Maybe, maybe you have friends who will share it on social media. But it's losing a lot of the context and meaning behind it. So as we look at verse 21, actually, before we go any farther, I want to just pause and ask you, have you seen this verse out in public, just on its own somewhere? Maybe it's on social media. I've seen some people shaking your head net. yes. When you see this verse, what does it make you think of? What do you think the message behind it when this verse is on its own? Yeah. that's a great way to reword this verse. Does anyone else have any, you know, they've seen it before and that's kind of, what, what kind of messages have you got from just seeing it on its own? Or what do you think the person who posted it on social media was intending by the verse?
yeah, she's, she's echoing Paul's thoughts here in the passage as Paul is in prison and suffering. He's saying, for me to live, if I can live longer, is to serve Christ. But to die, I know what that is, that it's to be with Christ, which is far better. Yeah, so some people may use it um, you know, to convey that thought. But as we look here in the context of Philippians, you know, I just think that the message of this ber- verse becomes so more powerful. Because again, we have to consider Christ is, or Paul is in prison. He's going through quite a bit right now. And honestly, as you read through this verse, I get the feeling that he honestly would rather just leave at that moment and go be with Christ. As he continues on in verse 22, If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Now, going back to verse 21, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Honestly, I think in a lot of our lives, we live the opposite of this verse. We live for ourselves. And to die is to leave the good life that we think we have here. And, um, you know, Paul, Paul's motivation is completely the opposite. What he's going through right now, I'm sure, is <laughs> motivating him to want to be with Christ. But Paul's desire really is to be with Christ. He knows that while he's living here on earth, Christ can use him, and that's good. But to be with Christ, that's where it's at. That's what's best. And like I said, I think a lot of us live in a way that's that's backwards to this verse. That we live like our lives is where it's at. That this is all there is. And that, sure, maybe I'll die, but that's taking me from my life I have here. And Paul, you know, again, just flips that on his head. head. He does continue on in uh, verse 24 and says, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Um, So he's continuing to think through this, and he's expressing a desire to continue the work that Christ may have for him here on earth, to continue strengthening the church and strengthening the believers and spreading the gospel. And so the end, he kind of ends, you know, with this saying, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all. And, and I think this is aspirational, saying I want to remain. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him next. But he's saying, here's the two options. I either can stay and continue the work of Christ, or again, to leave and to be with And and again, reading through this, it is kind of morbid because in one way, Paul is saying, death would be better for me right now because then I'd be with Christ. But I am going to remain until Christ calls me home so that I can continue doing the work that Christ has for me. And this really sets up the next couple passages for the book of Philippians. Um, Paul then jumps into his encouragements to the church, and they revolve around this idea of to live as Christ to continue pursuing that, uh, pursuing Christ. Um, and he wants them to share in this. Again, at the end, he says, um, I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ. 
I think what he's saying is he wants them to share this desire and this motivation so that the Philippians can honestly say with Paul what he says in verse 21. For me to live is Christ. That's what he wants the Philippians to be able to echo. And so he challenges them in the next couple passages towards that. How can we live um, for Christ? Um, But here, again, he's kind of just wrapping up this section of where he's at, what he's thinking about, where he is in his ministry. So as we look at these passages, I want to ask the questions that I uh, put up there uh, at the beginning. How does this passage fit into the book of Philippians? And I'm going to open this up for everyone here. How do you think, in the context of what we've read and what we studied last week, how are you seeing Paul use this section in the book of Philippians? Yeah, it's a good reminder, especially if you're going through something hard that um, that God uses us here. Like, he has a purpose for us. Um, and that means going through suffering occasionally or quite often. Any other thoughts? Yeah, well, and and Paul's being very honest in these passages. I mean, Paul's not one to mince words, but I think that's just one of the neat things to read through Philippians. Again, Paul writes this from so much joy. Like, there's so much joy in his heart as he writes this, and um, and it's something that you know (laughs) I can only look at. Like, how are you this joyful when you're going through so much, Paul? (laughs) If I was in prison, I would not write a letter as joyful as this. (laughs) I saw your hand, Nancy. Did you have something to add? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Russ.
Yeah, well, and it really goes back to the idea we talked about last week about their partnership. You know, they're going through this together. Even though Paul's in prison, the church in Philippians is still supporting him and still remembers him and tries to do what they can. So they send a member of the church to give him, you know, not only a financial gift, but some encouragement. And so Paul does appreciate that. And it goes to the idea of fellowship, that we as believers need each other as the way we've been designed. That the church is a corporate gathering of people in person to encourage each other, especially to encourage those who are suffering Yeah, and this is something that I'm sure you um, have familiarity with me as well, Joe. Paul is homesick. <laughs> so in a previous life, I worked at a summer camp, and I dealt with homesick kids all the time. And it kind of feels just like that. Now, when you have a homesick kid, it's kind of rough, but Paul is homesick for heaven. He wants to be with Christ. And I know you work with kids at camp, too, and you probably have dealt with some homesick kids. But it's just so funny to see that, that. Paul genuinely just wants to be home. <laughs> um, so let's move on. We only have a little bit of time left. How does this point us to the gospel? Again, we talked a lot about the gospel in this, but how do you think this points to the greater context of Scripture? And that's a big thing Paul is doing in this letter is he's using himself as an, as an example for the Philippians to encourage them. He even says later on in Philippians, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he is. He's using that to say, points back to look at the joy, look at the faith, look that only comes through Christ. 
finally, what does this reveal to us about God? Does anyone have a quick answer they want to throw out? Any thoughts? Yeah, he is faithful. Honestly, that would be a great way to end our Sunday school. He is faithful. What does this passage reveal to us about God? He was faithful to Paul through his suffering in prison. He is faithful to the gospel so that the gospel will be spread, whether through our suffering. And he is faithful to continue that until we go home to be with him in heaven. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for this time we can spend in your word. I thank you for the message in Philippians. And I just pray that as we leave today, we have a better understanding of who you are. Just pray that you bless the rest of our time together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.